Freddy's home. You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. The bastard son of a hundred meters. They burned him to death in his boiler room. And they hid the remains. But he can't get you now. He's dead, honey, because mommy killed him. When I was alive, I might have been a little naughty. But after they killed me, I became something much, much worse. This is now playing's A Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective series. Welcome to Freddy 101. Hosted by Arnie, Stuart, and Brock. Twisted, lonely souls. The worst of the criminally insane. We got special work to do here, you and me. We will be reviewing all Freddy's films from Wes Craven's original through 2010's hotly anticipated remake. Who is that? But beware. These discussions will be spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. You can find new episodes of this series released every week at nowplayingpodcast.com. Today we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, starring Robert Englund, Lisa Wilcox, Danny Hassel, Tuesday Nights, Brooke Theis, and directed by, and this is how I said it when I was watching the movie, directed by Rennie Harlan. <laughs> this is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. I'm Stuart, I'm in L.A. This is Arnie, and Stuart, you wanted to know when we got the real New Line logo. Well, now you have it. Indeed, we have now arrived. New Line is a real company, and they have a real logo, and I guess it's all because Nightmare 3 was such a big hit, right? Yeah, pretty much. Nightmare 3 was a huge success, and it propelled Nightmare 4 that we're about to talk about to be the biggest box office return for Freddy until Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, and that's money I I would be willing to bet should have gone to 3, but it took (laughs) a while for people to realize how good 3 was, I think. It took home viewing for people to get really excited about Freddy. You know, Arnie, I think we would all benefit for this one with a plot summary. What do you say? It's one year after the Dream Warriors and Kristen Kincaid Joey still alive and out of the nuthouse. They're back at Springwood High, and they have a whole new crop of friends, including Alice, the dowdy girl who works at the restaurant, the Crave Inn. Get it? Craven? Oh, I didn't get that. Her brother, Rick, who is now Kristen's boyfriend and in his off time is a ninja. Are they brother? Are they twins? Were they twins? They're in the same classes. I have two sisters who aren't twins who were in the same year. It happens if the parents fuck a lot. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a female Urkel named Sheila (laughs) and the smallest bodybuilder ever named Deb. Kristen continues to be haunted by thoughts of Freddy, pulls Kincaid and Joey into the dream. In doing so, she awakens Freddy. Freddy kills Kincaid, then Joey, then finally Kristen. Kristen somehow transfers her power to Alice. How? 
I don't know. And now Alice has the ability to pull people into dreams. Freddy, by killing Kristen, has killed the last of all of the Elm Street children. But Freddy wants to continue killing, and so now Alice is his gateway to new people, and so Freddy dispatches her friends by scaring her to pulling her friends in so he can kill them. Eventually, Alice and her new boyfriend, football player, vanilla boring guy Dan, (laughs) face off against Freddy. As each new person dies, Alice gains their quote-unquote power, which I believe just means their catchphrase. (laughs) It ends with a face-off with Alice and Freddy, and it ends with Alice showing Freddy his reflection, and then the souls of people tear Freddy apart. Again, I'm sure we're going to get more into this as we go along. Yeah, okay. I think this was the first one they ever released in the summer. This was a summer movie. And it was really rushed into production, because... Three came out in early 87. This came out in mid-88. I mean, there was virtually no time passed. Hmm. That's funny, then. Why couldn't they retain the cast? Well, what what cast did they want to retain? There were only three survivors from the last one, and they got two back. Patricia Arquette couldn't come back because, ostensibly due to her pregnancy. We are replaced with, she really needs to be a porn star with this name, Tuesday <laughs> Night. K-N-I-G-H-T. And you guys probably don't know this, but Tuesday Night is also the singer of that opening rock song. Oh, my God. That Lita Ford ripoff thing? Yes, sung by Tuesday Night. Oh, my God. Did she write the words? I don't know. Because did you catch these lyrics? I mean, here's a choice line. It's just a heart attack on a one-way street. Huh? <laughs> I don't know what that means. It has street in it, and it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I, that's, that's all I could think of, That why that line exists. You know what? You notice it right away that there's a different feeling about this one, and that opening song is, is part of the reason why. And I'm going to be honest here. I liked that opening song and was very disappointed that it was, has never been officially released in any capacity. <laughs> Not even on the soundtrack. No. We're going to talk about all the songs that weren't on the soundtrack, but no. This is one of the many songs from this movie not on the soundtrack. Every song that I'm going to say I liked in this movie, not on the soundtrack. Weird. I know. It really sucked. I went out and bought that soundtrack, and maybe I've been revealing my stories of fandom. Uh, Stuart has nicknamed me in high school, Pure Prophet Arnie. Yeah. Because I used to sell my CD collection repeatedly to a CD store. Now, I say repeatedly because I'd sell them at $3 a disc and then buy them back slowly at $10 a disc. One of the discs I sold in this is the Nightmare on Elm Street 4 soundtrack that had the not good songs from here, but still had some music on it that I kind of liked. And eventually I had to buy it back on eBay for $80 after selling it for 3 Whoa! This wow. is a very rare, hard-to-find soundtrack these days in CD <laughs> format, and yes, I am now the proud owner of an $80 copy. But you said the songs stink on. All the ones you don't like are on, aren't on there. Yeah, I also have had to pick up every individual band's CDs, except for Tuesday Night, who didn't release that song. <laughs> oh, she's real big in Japan. I bet you it's a, it's a Japanese import. Yeah, you she toured with David Hasselhoff. $300, Ernie, and you can have Heart Attack on a One-Way Street. <laughs> Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> and then it, it kicks off. We have another arts and crafts scene instead of paper mache <laughs> houses. We have chalk drawings on sidewalks. So we have a new Kristen, and it's yeah. Tuesday night. Can I just say that one thing about this new Kristen? I don't feel like we even need Kristen in this movie. Ah, but we do. This entire movie wouldn't exist except for Kristen's dream power. 
I disagree with you, and we're going to get into this, but I think that the old Dream Warriors get the real shaft in this one, and I almost feel like, why even put them in here? All three of them love to see them, and then they're just thrown out like two-day-old bread. I just I hated it. I have to agree. I, I was wondering why they even bothered bringing them back into this movie, but on the other hand, it was kind of nice that they did the bridge thing, so what I thought took from it was, with those three kids being the last of the Elm Street kids, now they can take Freddy on to new and exciting sequels, without having to worry about we ran out of kids. And remember how when we did the Star Trek retrospective, we said there was kind of that trilogy of 2, 3, and 4? I feel like we're in the real trilogy of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is 3, 4, and 5, where the storylines are very contiguous and tightly woven. But 1 was also a part of that as well. Not nearly as much as 3, 4, and 5 are, because just because Nancy comes back later, I mean, Kirk's in all the Star Trek ones, but that doesn't <laughs> make t- the 2, 3, 4 less of the trilogy. Well, be that as it may, I think that you could tell the story that they were trying to take without bringing back the Dream Warriors. If this was the way they were going to treat them, it's kind of like the Alien 3 effect. You guys know what I'm talking about where, all right, we see Newt and all the people from Aliens battling and surviving and they survive and they come back in Alien 3 only to be murdered. And I just feel like, wow, I didn't want to see these characters I liked killed off so easily not even without a good fight i just felt like if you're going to get Kristen back wait for arquette or just start with alice who is really our character for the story well Stuart, i i took it as freddie had gotten more powerful since their last meeting and therefore that's meant to be more of a menace that their dream powers as we talked about last episode were sort of rudimentary anyway they really had a chance to develop them, but Freddy came back now that he knows that these folks have these dream powers, and I took it as he's a stronger, bigger, badder Freddy. I never took it that way in 20-plus viewings, and basically the way I've always taken it is they did defeat Freddy. Freddy was dead and buried, but as Joey said, Kristen kept going back into that dream area and stirred him up and awoke him, and looking at it, Freddy was really strategic, because this time he knew that if they could band together he might be in some trouble although Mm -hmm. really it was dr gordon not the dream warriors who beat him last time and so he takes them out you know one by one and he gets joey in a way where joey never gets a chance to really scream well and use that dream power of vocalism he gets to (laughs) Kristen last because that way Kristen can't call on joey and kincaid for help right okay so I took it as Freddie was using strategery. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start. Let's go back to the beginning of the movie and talk about that first dream a little bit. I also picked up that this movie felt differently, and I'm not a Rennie Harlan fan per se. I know him from Die Hard too, and I think Cutthroat Island. I believe he did right. He did a couple of bombs with Gina Davis. It was his wife for a while before she wised up. <laughs> But I did notice a different kind of quality of shot, and the camera movement was entirely different. It was constantly moving towards or away from something in this opening scene. I love that first shot of her opening the door and going into the the same place, but it was like a mirror flip. A, A lot of cool imagery was going on in that first scene, and it really helped me get back into the spirit of watching these movies. Let me put a point on what you're saying, Brock. Please. For the longest time, this was my favorite movie in the Nightmare series. And the reason why is because this movie is what I would call slick. It is just 
kinetic and I think it's the first time they really had a budget to play with and even though Rennie Harlan wasn't really a proven director in the states he was an experienced director and it had so much going for it from the music to just the shots and the color and everything about this movie is very slick like a well-produced music video from beginning to end and so I think that really appealed to me it was just that's how I would describe it as slick you like the energy of this I did. And so did I. Wow. Really? I, I thought it was terrible. I got to say right <laughs> off the bat. No, really. I mean, Arnie, you raked Martin Scorsese over the coals several times about art bag douchery. I mean, this camera was moving for no reason. Someone pulls into a driveway and suddenly it's a crane and it's circling around. I'm like, I'm going to vomit here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is moving for no point whatsoever. And it doesn't set me back into the mood. Those early nightmare movies didn't have the budget to have cranes and steady cams. So it was a static camera. And you know what? That works for them. When I see this moving around and all that happens is a kid climbs out of the window and jumps down, I go, what's all the noise for? Overall, I felt the, the camera's movement just was something different, especially in the dream sequences. It really added a sense of dreaminess. And I, I know a better way to say that. <laughs> it just feels overly slick. I mean, I don't see that as a compliment in this case. I feel like we're moving away from Nightmare on Elm Street designed as a horror movie and it being more designed as an action movie. I would definitely agree. This has a very big action movie vibe. And I liked that. Everything explodes in this movie. That's another <laughs> thing, too. I swear to God, there's not a window or something that doesn't blow up. Like, all they needed was, like, someone to, like, be running away with their hands up, jumping slow motion in the air, and we would be in some Die Hard movie or something like that. I just felt like, wow, we're far, far away from the vibe that I liked that the first three movies, even that meandering second one, had. Well, just a couple of things of what's going on behind the scenes. They really did rush this. The reason Rennie Harlan got the job, I love this story from the behind-the-scenes material, they hired him because he looked big and strong and they knew this was going to be a grueling shoot and they wanted someone healthy who could survive it. And that was the entire reason he got the job. It had nothing to do with anything else. And remember the big writer strike of 87 and eight, or 88? This mm -hmm. movie was very much impacted by it. They got a draft in and then the writers, you know, put gaffer tape over their mouth and that was the <laughs> end of it. So much like the joys we've had recently with Transformers 2, this movie could have had another polish or two had it not been for the writers walking out ah well that explains a lot because one of the writers on this is brian helgeland and i don't know if you know that name but he's a big time script doctor and screenwriter in hollywood even to this day i mean he won an oscar for la confidential he's worked on the Bourne movies he's got a new robin hood movie with uh, russell crowe coming out he's a big time guy this was his first writing gig and i was like wow you've come a long way because <laughs> well we'll get into the problems i have with the story but it's easy to say that this is far less well written than the previous entry yeah i do think that the writer's strike had something to do with it now as far as i know there wasn't an actor's strike that would have allowed better talent to be part of this <laughs> movie because my biggest problem with it as we'll get into is some of the acting but i gotta say what rennie harlan brings to this works for me every step of the way i think this is exceedingly one of the best made nightmare films Okay, nice. okay. Uh, I, I'm going to wave the white flag for now, but I <laughs> strongly disagree with both of your enthusiasm uh, in these opening scenes when Kristen's running through the house 
and everything is exploding, and we're seeing a lot of repeated imagery, girls on tricycles, what have you. And then all of a sudden, correct me if I'm wrong here, she's in the boiler room, and there's chains everywhere. This is the first time there have been chains, yes? This movie is chasing Hellraiser's tail. Thank you. So badly. You've anticipated where I'm going with this. Oh, I've always thought this, and we're going to talk about it more, I'm sure, in about five minutes. But why are there chains in the boiler room, chains with hooks on the end? Correct. Because Hellraiser came, and there was a new Master of Horror crowned, and Freddy was chasing Hellraiser's tail. And it's kind of like how we talked about how Jason was chasing Freddy. Freddy was chasing Barker, I guess. Yeah, he was sweating it. I mean, he had come off swinging with part three, but out of nowhere comes a very stylistically different and scary villain. I mean, say what you will about Hellraiser, the movie itself, the Cenobites, the imagery, the things they do to you, much more horrifying than Nightmare ever did. Even with his talon glove, he never got as gruesome and as grisly as what's done in those Clive Barker movies. I completely agree. I was a huge horror fan, as I've stated, and I watched these Nightmare films again and again and again. But let me tell you, when I first saw Hellraiser, that was like the transition from softcore Skinamax to hardcore porn was going from Nightmare to Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. It was. It was two girls in a cup. It was like, oh, <laughs> Crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so here we've got suddenly Freddy has chains to keep up with the pinheads. Mm Mm-hmm. And she pulls Joey and Kincaid into her dream. And yes, there's something stated about it's being her fault. She pulls Kincaid's dog in the dream, too. Who's cheekily named Jason. Yes. Yes. Pretty pretty funny, actually. But (laughs) why would you bring in the dog? I kind of thought that maybe Kincaid was touching the dog when he was pulled into the dream and the same way Nancy brought the hat out Kincaid brought the dog in okay why did the dog bite Kristen I quote Kincaid my dog's like me you mess with his sleep he gets pissed why does the dog piss fiery urine and dig up Freddy because it's cool yeah it is cool (laughs) it's great it is not cool to watch a dog piss fire. Oh, it yes, it was. Cool. The theater, this was the first one I saw in theaters, and the crowd applauded at the dog pissing fire. They loved it. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. But I loved every second of it. A dog pisses fire! Yeah, it was okay. awesome. Uh, again, I will agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's over the top, but it's funny. He pees fire. You know, it's it's why does it burn when I pee? You know, <laughs> When you yes. guys enjoyed it more if they had given us a better reason for why Freddy came back. Oh, this, this is lightning striking the grave in Jason Part 6. Exactly the same reason. Let me tell you, here again, Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. This entire resurrection is stolen straight out of the first Hellraiser. There's even a part where Freddy is shown and you see like the tendons on his face. And I'm like, they just took the Frank puppet off Hellraiser, didn't they? They didn't even make anything new here. Yeah, I mean, th- that scene with uh, Frank coming back out of the mattress is really something that sticks with you forever. So who can blame him for wanting to steal that? It's really cool. And it's cool here. You know, I'm not saying that it isn't effective to see Freddy come back this way. I am going to say it's really stupid to watch a dog piss fire. But (laughs) it's not bad that he dug up. But I'm like, there's no real reason given. If Kristen's the one that brings him back, 
why is Kincaid's dog being the one that brings him back? You're talking about a polish of screenwriting already. There are too many things that are, are starting out of the gate that don't make any sense. And I'm mad because the last movie was so tight. It was so much fun. And this one feels sloppy. Here's where I will agree with you. For all of the dream powers they had last time, they certainly seem like some normal kids this time. Kincaid does push a car, but with his super strength, I would like to have seen him pick up a car and hurl it Superman style, you know? And really use that strength. He pushes one car, and then, again, I don't know why these people think Freddy dies so easily. Nancy in the last one, Kincaid in this one, he's like dancing around and hooting and hollering and big shock freddy didn't die when you pushed a dream car on him well you know at that whole scene i was thinking what i said in the last podcast was that they didn't get a chance to really flex their dream power muscles and so maybe because freddy's been gone so long why would he use it why would he practice it so of course he just has the same kind of lame standard power that he had before i agree with you if he actually was using and flexing his powers and really playing with them and understanding what they were he actually might have been a better action scene. You said this was more like an action scene. They could have made that entire scene more action-oriented. They certainly could have, but Kincaid went down pretty easy. The special effects of the cars coming towards him, I felt like I was at the Universal Studios when they have those earthquake rides where the, <laughs> the things come towards you, but they stop just in time. It seemed like everything was very well choreographed, and it was certainly that aspect of the time. And also, you can also spin it if you want to, that it's a dream, but... For me, it was an effective, interesting scene that they brought back the graveyard. But I agree with you because he became a victim right after that scene, with, right after he threw the car in Freddy. He was just a victim, you know? It would have been really nice if he got a couple of more slugs in. But they, they wanted to dispatch with him. That was the whole point, yes. right? Now that's what we're getting at. They don't even want Kincaid in this. They want to get rid of everything that was in the last one. And I feel like this is almost a diss to Wes Craven for not coming back. Like, we are not going to do anything that you had in the last one, and we are going forward with something entirely different. Even the line, when Freddy wakes up, he says, You shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. That is almost word for word identical to a line that was used heavily in the promotion of Wes Craven's movie that year, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Mm. I feel like they were in a pissing contest, Wes Craven. <laughs> and Rennie Harlan won because he pissed fire. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I don't know. I think I'd rather have Wes Craven's career right now than Rennie Harlan's. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we've killed Kincaid and then we move on to Joey's death. And here's another great death. And again, another great use of music. We've got Billy Idol rocking out. I was pissed again that Billy Idol song, not on the soundtrack. <laughs> I was going to ask. Waterbeds, people. This is such an 80s thing. I'm so glad they brought in a waterbed. Finally, I can't believe it took them four movies to figure that out. But I had a waterbed. Me too. That's, those things are great. I mean, how could they not have done this already? It was so much fun to see them play with that. Can I ask you a question? Were waterbed mattresses transparent by nature? Never. Never, You right? would not okay. want to see them because if you didn't properly clean them, and I didn't, <laughs> they get really moldy and oh. nasty, and that water gets, ooh, you couldn't see through it with a periscope. <laughs> or we get an obligatory wet dream joke. It was almost too easy. I'm sorry, really. what, what yeah. did we get, Stuart? 
Obligatory wet dream joke. No, I, I think we got a titty shot, didn't we? <laughs> and we did get a titty shot as well, yes. of course. Which is just a repeat of what they did with Joey the last time. And again, they don't care about developing Joey. They're getting rid of Joey. So. Well, let's face it. Joey was a much better actor when he didn't talk. <laughs> Ouch. No, Wouldn't it have been more fun to see these kids really confident, maybe overly confident? Maybe he was, you know, debating in school again. Maybe Kincaid was on the football team and thinking it was really tough. Maybe their dreams had delivered looted them. I don't know. These are just things that would have made me accept their deaths much more easily. It just angers me that they were brought back and then dispatched without any feeling, with no remorse. And it wasn't scary. It wasn't gruesome. It was just down and dirty and, and we're moving on. Well, I have a question, though. The reason I asked about transparent waterbed, I understand they made it so she, he could see the girl underneath the ice kind of thing. And then he dies. But at the end of the scene, when he's dead, his mom finds him in a transparent waterbed backlit, I have to add. Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful, I think it was green backlight. I understand it's a cool look and w- great way for him to die. But wouldn't his mother, honestly, that doesn't make any sense. Does it make for- sense that Glenn's mother saw a fountain of blood? I mean, it's that same yeah, exact I principle. I, yeah, I, it, yeah did, I, it did feel like a repeat of Johnny Death's death. I can, uh, I gotta say, with that, with the. Well, just, it uh, wasn't. I don't know. Just like the TV in the last one, that was the one death that no way it could have been a suicide. It had to be a murder. This one in the bed, it's just. I don't understand. I'm splitting hairs with with a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but to oh, me, no, I agree with you, Brock. I mean, I agree with you. He would have to have climbed through a hole the size of a tennis ball in order to actually be inside that mattress, so and the water would have flown out the water would have come out except that he drowned in his sleep (laughs) which is hey let's just face it again it's the springwood police they'll just be like well that's the damnedest thing i've seen all week (laughs) tag him bob yeah a parrot blew up in your living room (laughs) yeah but anyway these dream warriors are dead and we got to get to the new batch right we are introduced in the middle to Kristen's new crop of friends i always love how horror movies you know the one summer they make all new friends mm-hmm. <laughs> and why would you want to be friends with her when you know her last friends are dead and her last friend she met in the insane asylum. That's true. <laughs> they established them early, and Alice comes across really, really dowdy. But she also has these daydreams that she tells her father off, and she looks gorgeous. Like she has, she's all made up. Her hair is done better. She's dressed better. And then, so it's kind of interesting that she sees herself looking that confident, but in real life, she's not. I was thrown because I thought her daydreaming was going to be the way that Freddie entered the regular world. I thought that what they were setting me up for was that Freddie was going to return to the material world in her daydreams and that she wouldn't have to be asleep to have a battle with him. Uh, It doesn't really work that way. Does it? It's confusing. I kind of think it does. I think that a couple of times she's daydreaming and Freddie makes his way in. Like the classroom scene. Yes, exactly. We can agree that it's confusing. And I... Yes. It's it's not really clear how her daydreams play into Freddie's abilities. But... I felt like they could have done more with that. And I was surprised that they didn't make that more central to the whole plot of the movie. If you set up someone very early as someone who is a dreamer and who is projecting into another world, and then you've got Freddy Krueger, the dream killer, how could that not be 
the way he's going to appear to them. Brock, you mentioned she was looking pretty fine during some of those daydream scenes. I had a major crush on Lisa Wilcox. I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> and to this point, Lisa, call me. I'm your Facebook friend. I really am. I'm not even joking. I You're kidding. I'm friends with Lisa Wilcox on Facebook. She accepted your friend request on Facebook? And 980 other people's, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you friends She's with She's selling purses on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Twittering with Brooke Theis. I'm not sure if you knew that. <laughs> Brooke Theis, by the way, is the one who I mentioned played Heather Langenkamp's sister on Just the Ten of Us. Yep. And she was hot really? on that show, too. Her hair in this one is surprisingly bigger than it was in Just the Ten of Us, which is amazing. And, yeah, I really think that she and Langenkamp would have been fighting over that Aquanet on the set <laughs> of Just the Ten of Us over whose hair could get teased bigger. Because she's a bodybuilder in this movie. She has no big muscles, but goddamn that fro. It's amazing. <laughs> that was the body building. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. so she was doing bang lifts. <laughs> <laughs> they also established pretty early that Deb is afraid of bugs with an incredibly obvious shot of her pulling a ch- potato chip or something out of a bag. Yeah, who's afraid of bugs? I don't like to eat roaches either, you know? Like, <laughs> they make that, like, that's such a big thing. Oh, Deb, you just don't like bugs, do you? No, I don't like to eat pests and insects. Yeah, what the hell was it doing in her food? I mean, you know? I know. Right there. I mean, I think everyone can agree to be horrified if you open a bag of a commercially processed chip and a roach is sitting atop one of them. Like it was some canapé. I'm like, ooh, delicious. You eat it, Urkel. You're going to judge me. <laughs> she continues with the bag. I throw away the whole yeah. damn thing. She just throws away the room. Just put that one aside and keep going. Talk about Dynasty some more. Okay. <laughs> These people are some weird O's. I love the kid, Rick, with the karate Bruce Lee Karate Kid sort of montage. Again, another great song. It's Dramarama's Anything Anything. It's an alternative punk hit from the 80s. Not on the fucking soundtrack. I didn't find that on CD until 15 years later. Okay, well, maybe you can get it on iTunes. Well, I own the CD now. Yeah. (laughs) Several hundred dollars later. (laughs) Ernie is satiated. (laughs) Sorry to hear that for your troubles. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing that struck me about this Rick guy was, you know, the last time I was talking about how one of the major characters reminded me so much of Corey Feldman. Are you going to go Christian Slater? No, Corey oh, Haim. He's only Corey Haim on this. Really? You think he's Corey Haim? I never got... All I knew is that much like Philip in the last one, I liked the energy Rick had here. I liked his delivery. I was saddened when he was removed from the cast because I liked his ninja moves. I thought he was a cool character. But in watching it this time, I was trying to place who he reminded me of. And to me, he was kind of like an early day Christian Slater. Corey Haim was in the public eye. Lost Boys had come out the year before this movie came out. They knew about Corey Haim. They modeled him on him. I I think they said, get me a Corey Haim. But he had that kind of Euro trash Duran Duran kind of thing with his hair a little bit that def- it was interesting to me that he his hair was always perfectly I guess the word would be teased but it was kind of like it, it was just always funky always cool for him if he has hair like that but that seems like a horrible mess to have to upkeep for a kid that age but yeah I mean <laughs> it's gonna get you messed within the dojo he better be a martial <laughs> artist <laughs> 
I love Cobra I Kai love, is going to come down on exactly. that. Exactly. I thought the kid brought amazing energy to this role, which could have been, you know, another thankless horror movie. Lower like <clears throat> Dan. Yeah, I mean, seriously, this movie should have been about a brother sister and not about Dan. Dan was so fucking boring. I have to agree with you. And and when they dispatched this poor guy, I really wished he was sticking around longer. I really, I, did. I really did too. I when I saw this in theaters the first time, I felt a sense of loss at his passing. <laughs> it's perhaps the only character in a horror movie where I'm like, ah, fuck. Well, he does have a more natural. You know, Dan is a stereotype. There's always a jock guy that's so dreamy, and every girl wants him, and he ends up being a real idiot. I mean, what did <laughs> what did Dan bring to this part at all? Nothing. He's vapid as can be. And what I love about his character. is is they have to put him in the Letterman jacket every time so you know that he's a jock. Like, how do we convey this? Letterman jacket, Letterman jacket, Letterman jacket. There's one scene he's not in the Letterman jacket. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, that's Dan. <laughs> Got to keep him in the Letterman jacket. I mean, he literally is just a costume in this movie. He's an object, and it's kind of funny. They turn him into the damsel in distress, and they make uh, Alice the knight in shining armor to save him. That's kind of funny, but well, yes. Truthfully, he has the acting chops of an underwear model. I don't know that I felt like he had even an opportunity. I'm not even going to knock Dan because I feel like what could he have done with a part like that? It, literally, stand there, wear the Letterman jacket, and we'll let you know when we're done. You know, Stuart, they also had Rick and him establish some sort of friendship. He was looking for Rick at the diner, and then Rick shows up. And Kristen is the most annoying, high-maintenance, hospital corners girlfriend ever. Rick, we have to go! Now! <laughs> What the hell? She's bitch? been through a hey, lot, where, Artie. Where, yeah, you gotta cut her some slack. She has been fighting Freddy Krueger. I, you know, <laughs> I think sure, but okay. Uh, but where is she going? They're going to the Myers house. You know <laughs> <laughs> why? What is this helping? Why is the field trip to this house? And again, I love that the entire neighborhood's so fucking manicured, and there's this eyesore in the middle. Like the neighborhood association wouldn't really be fighting to have it torn down. And I no. guess I have to throw it out there again. There's still no real reason why we are fixating on this house as opposed to any of the multiple houses he terrorized from many of the multiple parents that burned him alive. And also, wasn't there a POV shot or something from inside the house, but we don't find out who the person is inside the house? I don't remember that. I don't really think it's a POV shot so much as that's where they put the camera. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was nice to see Kristen's mom return, even though Patricia Kratt's not back. The actress that played her mother is back. I'm not sure what their relationship is anymore. I mean, you would, I guess they've been in therapy together, but why, why did she drug Kristen? I really think the parent thought she was helping by, because Kristen wasn't getting sleep. And again, you know, it goes back to the very first movie with Nancy's mom. You know, all they think is the kids just need some sleep. Right. I, yeah. And then, of course, after I've drugged my child, I will leave her alone. And even though I smell smoke and hear crackling, I'm not going to go upstairs until kids run over and say, by the way, her room's on fire. (laughs) Uh, This passive aggressive parenting. I'm going to go kill a man who's may murder my child, but I'm going to drug my child and abuse her after that's all. Undelay. Yes, undelay. So, (laughs) yes. And another part really made me laugh out loud while we're talking about this. All the new kids, Kristen is on fire, and all the kids just sit there watching her burn. Not one person runs to call 911. That made me laugh. 
because especially Rick's face is like, oh, because that's his <laughs> girlfriend. Dude, call a doctor. Call a hospital. Call the fire department. So Kristen is drugged by her mom and goes to a beach, and we get to see Freddy on a beach. With sunglasses. Not just Freddy on a beach. Freddy as a Jaws joke like his at, <laughs> yeah. I, she wakes up on the beach a girl's making a sandcastle the same girl that you know is always popping up doing arts and crafts with freddy <laughs> themes in them this time she's making a nightmare in elm street house insane i actually um, wish it was the elm street house it was just a castle i was disappointed oh you're right that's a good point and then of course they got to do the joke that a shark fin is actually freddy's glove and he comes out and of course the sandcastle explodes because everything <laughs> in this movie has to explode. And then he cackling comes up to her and puts on shades. Ah, all right. I'll bite. Did you guys like it? I thought the sunglasses, was, it was a giggle moment. It's nothing else but that. I thought it was harmless, but I, I enjoyed it. I had a smile on my face when he did it. Remember what I said last podcast? Freddy was the silent killer at the beginning of three. He says, welcome to primetime, bitch. And now he's a comedian. Again, like Stuart said in the first podcast, this was the Freddy show. It, yeah. Rennie Harlan said going into this movie, Freddy's the hero of this story. This is giving right. Freddy as many moments as possible. But it, the makeup just looked so cheap under good light. It just looked so much. It didn't look at all scary. It looked like a bunch of latex on his face. Hmm. Okay. We're now sort of entering the Halloween 8 phase of Nightmare on Elm Street, where we're getting past the original thesis. Freddy comes back to kill the kids of all the people that killed him. They want to move beyond that. He's going to start up a whole new thing. But with each heroine they've given us, it becomes less and less. Not that I love Heather Langenkamp, but Nancy was the central figure in one and three, and then they give us Kristen, and now we get this Alice, and we know they'll get tired of Alice, and they'll get rid of her in a few beats. The kids are always going to change. It's just always going to be about Freddy. Doesn't that bother you that Freddy doesn't have an equal? But that not that the point of it is that he is the one, and at the end, we're told Alice is his equal. She is this movie, but you know they'll get tired. I mean, they've already established once we get tired of our heroines or they get pregnant, we get rid of them. <laughs> and that's why I wonder, why do we even need to bring in those dream warriors? This movie would have worked better for me if it was just about a girl who was struggling with these issues and accidentally resurrected Freddy. Like, to bring back those characters I love and to kill them this way, bah. Uh, you know, I'd rather have it so that there's the possibility they could come back in a future installment. I just don't like the fact that the protagonists now have become interchangeable and completely disposable. Is there an equal for Jason or did I miss that? Did you have the same complaint what? when we did Friday the 13th? I had the same complaint. And I bring up Halloween, which is the one that I call the best one. I, I think if you go back and hear my reviews, I was never high on the Friday the 13th series. I, think. I remember. It's, yeah. far, it's, it's far inferior to the Halloween series on a whole, in my opinion. And for these very reasons. Yes, Jason is the star of that. I did think they tried to make him have an equal in part six. And four through six, when you had Tommy, you know, Corey Feldman started him off. In part four, came back for a little cameo in five. And then as an adult, he came back in six. I thought those were some of the best, four and six. And I thought they were some of the best because they gave us characters that were reoccurring and invested in the situation. I want this to be an equal battle. And it's at, at this point, 
it's it's not become that anymore. I wish they hadn't killed Kristen. So, I mean, so you're telling me that you no longer are interested in making a horror movie in which the burned child murderer is trying to get at innocent teens and we're rooting for the teens. Okay, why not partner him with somebody who wants to kill their peers? Why would he try and make Alice the person to be the gateway? I don't get it. How much more fun would this movie be if he teamed up with a, a teenage Michael Myers or a teenage Carrie and they actually wanted to help him kill? Like, if we're supposed to love a killer, why not have a character that loves Freddy? That's a very good idea. That would have been a good movie is to find, like, the picked on kid, make the little Urkel his friend. Yeah, I really feel like there's so many stories where the nerd turns to black magic or sorcery or the devil to get a revenge on all of his books. Bullies and peers, it would have been so much more effective, particularly if you're asking me to like Freddy. If you're not asking me to like Freddy, then you give me Alice and you make me like Alice. But I just don't understand the pairing in this. It was a bad match from the get-go. Yeah, I I see your point there. By the same token, I mean, the way the script was written, Kristen was calling someone to help her. So she calls the meekest person she knows. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the scene where Kristen transfers the power to Alice, correct? Yes. And, that you know, this is the one thing that's always bothered me is how. The big blue flame. Yeah, she kind of throws it like a shot put or something. Like, like a frisbee. A you saw Tron. <laughs> Tron. <laughs> and here's another big Hellraiser ripoff. Freddy mm. says, come to daddy. Yes. And that's the Hellraiser line. And it's not, you know, in watching these movies before, Freddy's always said, come to Freddy. But that switch to come to daddy while grabbing and vamping around the chains. It's just like, oh boy, you guys are really scared, aren't you? I mean, the whole scene's weird. You're right. It's yes. Hellraisers. It's green. The boiler room is no longer red, hellish red. It's it's neon green. They throw Kristen in, in the furnace. She throws the magic power through Freddy, but it does get to Alice, right? The fact that it goes through Freddy is irrelevant, right? Freddy got her soul. And the power continued because we didn't talk about this in the last podcast, but Freddie has that wonderful prosthetic face on his chest or all those little faces. Sure, sure. So that's what the blue flame was. It was her soul and then the power. That kind of makes sense to me. (laughs) It does. It it makes sense. So yeah, Because he kind of says it at the end. You've got their power. I've got their souls. All right. I wasn't sure what what Freddie got out of that whole exchange, but they make a point of it going through him first and him arching his back as if in pain. And it's because he absorbed another soul. But you've got to think he knew this was going to happen, right? Because if if he killed Kristen, his gateway to new killing, he had to know Kristen could slash would transfer her powers to the next available sucker so that Freddy could continue to have a gateway to people's dreams, right? I don't know. I do know he has an iconic moment where he says, how sweet fresh meat. To me, that interprets that Alice is going to be the next one to get it. But it's the relationship actually kind of ends up feels like a repeat of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, where Freddy is using the body of a teen to get at other teenagers. And it makes about as much sense, frankly. And they'll do something about like that in 6, too. So I guess it's just oh, the good. pattern with the evened ones. And it's not like I dislike Alice. I want to make it clear. I think the actress is appealing enough. She's probably better than most of the ones we get, frankly. But here's the thing. I hate her character. You know why? 
because she reminds me of people I don't like. <laughs> oh, hi. I have no qualities of my own, but all my friends do, and I'm just going to suck the life out of them and take everything that they do, and then I'll be like them. I'm like, ooh, you leech. <laughs> like, that's literally all she does is sit around. She's empty inside and vapid and allows all of her colorful, idiosyncratic friends to get mixed up and die and then takes their power. And not even their dream power, their whole personality. Why? Because she doesn't even have a personality. And I think, ick, scrub. I don't like her. Did you say scrub? Scrub. <laughs> like no scrubs? Like the TLC Yeah, stuff? I don't want no scrub. <laughs> Um, anyway, yes, <laughs> you're right. And, 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 and they use this movie to show us how she's coming out of her shell. And by the end of the movie, she supposedly does find herself and who she wants to be. But you're right. I have to agree that she was kind of unappealing, but at least they tried to do something that was interesting for the character for her art. You'll admit Rick's far more interesting than she much is. More. He got much more. he got all of the personality genes that she didn't. And you know what? We haven't talked about her much, but I kind of dug Sheila, the Urkel character. I mean, it's a totally stereotypical character. You know, she's a nerd, and she, uh, all these homemade inventions, a bug zapper. She, I guess, services her own backfiring <laughs> scooter. I don't know, but uh, and she's you know, afraid of boys. Yeah, she's afraid of boys, but that doesn't really play out here. But Well, it does play out because that's how Freddy kills her. Oh, interesting. You know, I thought it's like three things happening at once. Let's talk about Sheila's death. <laughs> All right, so she's one of the first of the new batch to get it. And why does Freddy find her? Because they both fall asleep in class? Is that what no, I'm No, I thought, I thought she, I thought Alice fell asleep in class and brought in Sheila to her dream. I, but she how, fell asleep uh, in too because she had stayed up all night studying. I thought Sheila fell asleep and Alice was daydreaming. Mm. Oh. Well, yeah, it right. could have been any of these, and it would have been nice to have known for sure what was going on. But regardless, they're both in a surreal state in which Alice can only watch from her bound chair while Sheila's tests kind of the letters scribble around and, and learning is fun with Freddie. There you go. And a giant robotic hand comes out of the paper. Again, I just got to say, what's with the robotic hand? I, I never got She's that. She's an inventor, so she likes mechanical things, and I think it was meant to represent that. I, I don't know. It's a mixed metaphor for sure. I like the pen dripping blood, but I'm not sure what I thought of the hand. And then Freddy finally makes his real appearances, and they've already set up that she's asthmatic. So he sucks the air out of her. I didn't put it together, but you're right. It's the first time she's probably been kissed as well. She's sort of asexual. And so yeah. want to suck your face, all of that, that was playing into... I felt like there's three different fears going on at once. You know, in part three, they had one thing that defined their fear, and Freddie preyed upon that. Here, it's like boys, math, and asthma. It's like all these things are playing in, and I'm like... Boy, you should have just given me one when you gave me three. It's confusing. What what I don't understand is why why there was school in the first place that day because they already had three kids murdered from their three of their classmates are dead. Uh, we know this. Springwood has a very strict <laughs> attendance policy. Actually, I think some time has passed because Kristen's already in the ground. I I just had to go through this with a family member. At least five days have passed. They already even had the fucking sod on top of the grave. It wasn't even fresh dirt. Okay. <laughs> All right. So time has passed then. Okay. But then when Sheila dies, do we go back to school after that? Yes. Because there were, yeah, there's a lot more in school. Sheila dies so, in school and 
They don't cancel classes. They're, no, they have lectures about Aristotle and dreams and, and dream masters. Did anyone notice that Rick was studying Soviet psychology? <laughs> no. I was like, no. what the fuck kind of class is that in? What high school is this? I mean, it's, really, the curriculum is crazy. It doesn't matter if half the class gets murdered. You will show up tomorrow and talk about Aristotle. <laughs> Glad I didn't go there. What? It's, it's heavy curriculum. Did, do you guys know who that teacher was? I do. That's Bob Shea, brother of Lynn Shea, the teacher from the first movie and also the producer of this movie and head of New Line Cinemas at the time. Yeah, oh. he's the New Line guy. And I think he made an earlier appearance in part two as well. I think he was in the Bondage Club. Awesome. And we will see him more. I'm sure. I mean, it'd be fun. Believe me, if I produced the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I would write myself a part every time because who wouldn't want to be a part of it, even for a walk-on? It's fun. But yes, he's there talking about the Dream Master setting up the end of the movie. But first, we have to kill Rick. Why do we have to kill Rick? Yeah. (laughs) And that was an interesting death, though, wasn't it, with the elevator? The elevator and the cheerleaders and the toilet and then the ninja fight. I hated Freddy's kill line here. Sayonara, Rick San. It was just too Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> the whole thing was Karate Kid. And uh, yeah. I don't know if it's I loved Rick so much. I enjoyed him. The problem was was there was no one else like him to enjoy like him. If you'd give me a whole bunch on his level, I wouldn't have felt the loss so heavily. But it's the fact that Sheila and Rick are the most compelling of these new friends and they're dispatched rather quickly. Right. Because the next death is Deb. And Deb, I never liked. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> but I got to give this entire death scene some credit because in this, it starts. Deb is working out, and then Alice is going to meet Dan, and they're, the three of them are going to work out some plan to beat Freddy. But. Alice goes into a dream and goes into this movie theater and, like, watches this terrible black and white dance thing and is sucked in. I thought that was a really good dream. And I noticed they brought back some of the score from part one to score the whole thing. What I liked about that scene is when she is sucked in, the people on the balcony behind her are all her friends who have died. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really nice touch. I didn't notice that. I wish they had done more with that scene. I didn't really understand what purpose it served, but it certainly was an effective dream. It may be the best dream sequence we have, the image of her being sucked out of her seat and pulled. It was almost like one of those RCA commercials where the guy turns on the stereo and the noise blows them so back. She's sucked into the movie, and then what happens? What is accomplished? Once she's in the movie. She meets Freddy, who says, I love soul food, and sees herself 50 years older still working at the diner, which, dropped line from a half hour earlier, was her biggest fear, was she'd never stop working at the diner. I think Deb would have that problem more than she would. I mean, I'm not seeing Deb moving on from that (laughs) diner, but uh, she'll probably get another job. (laughs) Freddy then lets Alice wake up in her bed, so she thinks... But now she's running to meet Dan and save Deb from Freddy, but they enter this wonderful time loop. First time I saw this again in theaters, I thought the fucking film projector had, like, smoked reefer and was reversed the reels, and I was seeing the same film again. Dude, I thought my my DVD skipped. I swear to God, I <laughs> yeah, thought my DVD skipped. I did, too. The, I really yeah. thought the projector had just, like, fucked up. And the third time it happened, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so they got me with it. I'll give them that credit. 
They got me too. It was good. And so they're in this time loop while perhaps the weakest kill of the movie, Freddy turns Deb into what she fears the most, a bug. <laughs> Not After just he bug. breaks off her hands on the weight bench. Like I said, he's always mixing his metaphors here. He should have either killed her with the weights or he should have killed her with the bugs. But to do both is just bizarre and unnecessary. It was kind of a cool transformation, though. I mean, yeah, sure. I like to fly. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was different for what we've seen so far. The Roach Motel bumper on it, though, I didn't didn't care for that. I I like the idea. I'm not sure if it was perfect for that scene, for that person, for that time. I, I, I can't complain about it because it's kind of cool that in the dream... She turns into a bug. What I want to know is, you know, we saw that Joey's mom found him in the bed and Kristen's mom found her on fire. How exactly did Deb's parents find her? That's exactly why it feels weird. (laughs) It's because you don't see the wake-up scene and and it's not like we see her in bed and all the bugs climb out of her mouth or something like that. Mm. I, I guess we're really to presume she turned into a cockroach and got crushed. And, you know, to be fair, they made a, a passing reference to Kafka earlier when somebody was talking about their schoolwork. So I guess that was what they were alluding to was Kafka's metamorphosis and the fact that Freddie really turned her into a bug. But that now you're really getting far away from <laughs> what was scary and what was effective and what his limitations were uh, in the previous movies. It's feeling too much like Freddie's going to do whatever it takes to tell his pun. And puns are the lowest form of humor. I mean, this is, movie is about as smart as a garbage pail kid collection. <laughs> it's a little gross, and it's, you know, plays on words. But it's not like it's uproarious here. I mean, the movie shouldn't be built around cheap laughs. There should be cheap laughs sprinkled around a good movie. One other thing about Deb's death, that song was a Sinead O'Connor song before she was famous. And again, not on the fucking soundtrack. Yeah, I love. This is the first song that I actually love. I love. I want your hands on me. It was on her first album. Sinead O'Connor's first album is awesome. Before she did that crying, weeping Prince shit, <laughs> she had a really cool album, and this was on there. So yes, they they see Freddie in the road, decide to hit him with Dan's truck and total Dan's truck in the process. It, the car crash is that in a dream or did that actually happen? It happened. But I think they were asleep at the wheel. Ah, Dan is injured and they go to the hospital and all of a sudden Alice is in charge. When does he hit surgery? She knows the lingo. She wants him to be operated on without anesthesia. Uh, Come on. I mean, I understand that if he goes to sleep, Freddie might get him. But if he doesn't go to sleep, he's going to watch himself be sutured together. I think I would take my chances with Freddie. Couldn't you just get a local? Well, Uh. it's hard to know because we never see him without the Letterman jacket on. (laughs) Even on the hospital table, he's wearing the damn thing. I'm like, what's even wrong with the guy? I don't know. Broken rib, uh, scar. It's, It's impossible to know. But he is a jock. But yes, then we get Alice gearing up and she has... Has all their powers, which means she has Sheila's bug gun, Deb's uh-huh. wrist strap, Rick's ninja powers, and Kristen's smoking habit. And the also the uh, nunchucks, I believe, right? Yes, yeah, so the She's- nunchucks. And could they not find a wig for the stunt double that at least matched her hair? 
Did you notice that, like, yeah. during the back shots when all the cool nunchuck moves are going on, first of all, her shoulders are twice as broad and her hair changed brown? They didn't even try to dye the wig the right color. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. But, you know, the, we know that this actress doesn't have ninja skills like that. And so, of course, <laughs> they've got to cut away to... It's probably, like, a five-foot-three Asian dude that they just, like, outfitted and, like, here, no one will know. You'll and never so, convince me my Lisa Wilcox is not a ninja. <laughs> and well, your dreams, maybe, she is. Yeah, yes. maybe your Lisa Wilcox is. So to get to the dream, Alice jumps through the looking glass, but thankfully they call it out when she says Alice is in Wonderland right afterwards. I never caught that. I, of course, know Freddie says that, but I never got the looking glass thing. What do you know? Right. And that's the whole point with the, in the, throughout the whole movie with the mirror, the whole thing. Anyway, well, you know, so, hey, I have a lot of literary allusions throughout this series. Yeah. It's going to bite them on the ass. You just wait. We'll get there. <laughs> Brush up on your Hansel and Gretel is all I got to say. <laughs> all right. I, I will get my gingerbread house out and I'll start reading. So she jumps through the looking glass and she sets up for the big fight with Freddy. What a kick-ass fight. Yeah, it was. It was really interesting. It just Again, Rennie Harlan knows how to direct action. And even though this was his first American film, this thing had all of the gumption of any action film. And again, it's like Stuart said, this is an action film, not a horror film at this point. And she's kicking him, punching him. And she's just wailing on him. It's great because he's laughing the whole time. But man, this just felt like it was something out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Or, but it was it kicked ass. It worked. Yeah, I, I kept thinking worked. of Enter the Dragon. You guys ever see that Bruce Lee movie? Oh, yeah. The guy even has like furry claws or whatever. I feel like they studied that movie to do this fight. Brock, this is what you said you wanted the last movie, wasn't it? That they powered up for the big end battle? I did enjoy that she was ready to go and ready to fight. And that's exactly what I wanted last movie. Oh, this movie's not about empowerment. I mean, th- those kids never fought back. It's like they it's like watch a bunch of kids get killed and then this loser comes in and like finishes the job. I just But ugh. she's the dream master, isn't she the one who has the poem? She's the one who talked about the poem earlier and controlling your dreams and all that kind of stuff. Did that work for you? I'm not saying I, it, that worked for me. I, it was oh, even worse than the uh, Balinese dream theory that they oh. have while they ate fast food. I just those kinds <laughs> of explanations never really fly with me. That's like here, let me tell you some mumbo jumbo that will explain all this magical stuff. Yes, <laughs> it's 1.21 gigawatts with plutonium. Yeah, it's the same thing. Point I can't believe that you would want to say that the faux science used in Back to the Future is on the same level. <laughs> oh no. As Oh, no. Uh, the Aristotle theories of dream masters and good and negative gates. But at least they tried to do it. They missed the mark, but they tried. Well, let me tell you what bothers me is that all these powers she has don't even dent Freddy. So she has to show him a mirror. Yeah, and that's how he's defeated. That kind of bugged me. It's like hokey, you know, it's like this made up nursery rhyme, which is a bastardization of a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. The master of dreams, my soul to keep if in the reflection of my mind's eye, evil will see itself and it will die. That was from memory. So if I got it wrong a little, I apologize. But that little nursery rhyme that Alice's mother told her is how Freddie is destroyed by seeing himself in in the mirror. Yes, Freddy is now Medusa. Exactly. I felt the same thing. But she yeah. did, he obviously didn't turn to stone, but the same kind of idea. Can I just say, though, and I've been not very complimentary, but a lot of things in this movie, the vanquishing shots 
the nicest the series has ever done. And that descent into hell, I didn't like a lot of the camera movement in this, but when he's actually falling down to that hole and it's spinning down and the kids are leaning out of the walls or whatever, cool shot. Looked great. Agreed. I do like the shot. It's just merely the mechanism of his demise that bores me. Oh, dumb. Dumb as hell. And and corny. It's You know, they, they kind of bring it back to some of the uh, theological stuff that they were doing the last time. That You know, it was all about if we put him in consecrated holy ground, then that will vanquish him. I mean, it, it's, it's almost Christian. There's stained glass windows, and uh, there's something just... I don't They're know. They're in a church. It, it, there's pews and there's yeah, like the yeah, I, choir from When Doves Cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, it's almost vampiric the way he can't look in a mirror. I, I don't know. I don't know where they got that. I mean, they obviously cobbled this all together from a lot of different things, but it's always disappointing when characters resort to mumbo jumbo, magical amulets, whatever, to defeat creatures rather than using their own cunning and abilities. I'm going to take you one step further, though. I don't mind it if that's the MacGuffin of the whole movie, is we have to get this amulet to stop the bad guy. But when it just okay. comes out of nowhere like it does right. here. There's like right. one yeah. line early on where it's like, I think I remember some nursery rhyme. And then at the end, it's the ability to defeat is this forgotten nursery rhyme that Alice's mom just so happened to tell her. Not because the mother knew Freddy was resurrected and coming back. It just happened to be this big coincidence. That's what bugs me. If it was, you know, Alice had to work for it, you know, the way Dr. Gordon had to go find the bones, that would be different. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right on that. And it it makes me forgive Brian Hegeland a lot more to know that there was a writer's strike and maybe he could not change this. But it is very poorly integrated into the script. And the script, yeah, the special effects guys did their job is what I'm saying in the scene. But the screenwriters failed. What about Freddy's actual death where the souls that were set up in part three literally tear him apart? That's what I mean. The visually, I was really with it. I thought this is one of the best vanquishings. I thought it was just visually an appealing idea that, you know, we've seen these characters in this torso now for a little while that they would actually rip out alien style and rip him to pieces. Sure, I'll go with that. I didn't they'll, mind it at all. They'll, they'll tear his soul apart. <laughs> I love it because it's not a big ball of light. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's better. That, let's. I mean, what have we been given? I don't believe in you. Poof. Uh, a, a kiss from Meryl Streep and a big ball of light with some holy water. Yeah, this is the best one. By far, actually, yeah. Even though some of the effects do look cheap, I love the arms coming out of him. I think it's really a great payoff to those faces in his chest from part three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they also have, like, you could tell the real head pushing through, and then you could tell it's a puppet head or a puppet arm, but... You you go with the effect because it works for what's going on. Yeah, I thought it was fun to watch. I wish there had been more visual effects like this. I wish the dreams had some more of this creativity. I really felt like the dreams were lacking in this kind of... I felt like most of the imagery here was recycled. And I just... Yeah, I go... Almost any death in part three outranks any of the deaths here in part four except for this vanquishing the vanquishing here rules plus it also makes me feel you know i think it's a good resolution that the souls are freed right because when freddie was killing them here you know in part three it went up a level they weren't just dead they were dead and their souls were stuck in purgatory you said in the last podcast about how it was kind of a christian thing you know they were in the hell of freddie's stomach 
back, you know? Yeah. So here, if not on his pieces. Yeah. So here they finally get their release. Yeah. And then, you know, we've been listening to Freddie sing week after week, but in the end credits of Nightmare 4, remember I've been saying every podcast that Freddie's greatest hits came out between 3 and 4 to prepare for the release of 4, Freddie hosted videos for MTV, you know, all horror themed videos, Dream Warriors, Alice Cooper, what have you. And Nightmare on My Street came out by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Well, Freddie was not going to let Will Smith show him up. Freddie rapped over the end credits to Nightmare on Elm Street 4 with the Fat Boys. Mm. <laughs> Wipeout. Yeah, the Fat Boys. That's all that they ever did, right? Was sort of covers of other real songs and then rap to it. They were the first rappers that I can remember that would have that kind of asthmatic attack, that <laughs> the beatboxing kind of thing where you're like, is something wrong? Should I call a doctor? No, he's just cool. Okay, all right. Well, they all had beatboxes <laughs> if you were into the 80s hip hop. And I so was not. <laughs> I mean, Tone Look was as edgy as I got at that time. So uh, I got to say that the Fat Boys were like the cartoon version of real rap. They were the only rap I knew. And they had disorderlies coming out. So. Oh, yeah, yes. no, they, they were definitely trying to make them into some kind of Three Stooges characters. I like the Fat Boys as they're walking into the house, almost Scooby-Doo-like. They're bouncing in sync as they tiptoe into the house. <laughs> you see, the whole thing reminds me somewhat of Brewster's Millions. Honestly, they were probably better comedians than they were rappers. These, this rap is pathetic. But let me tell you, I honestly think Dream Warriors is what Freddy has to thank for his fame, more so than even Nightmare 3 itself, because this was back when MTV you know, showed music videos, God forbid, and Dream Warriors was in heavy rotation, and you got to see Freddy, you know, and he had that jokey line, oh, who were those guys? What a nightmare. And so that, I think, led to Freddy's greatest hits, and now they had to updo it, and so so now Freddy's in the rock video or rap video with the Fat Boys. And what I love about my Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack collection is that it really shows the evolution of popular music throughout the 80s and 90s. It started with Dream Warriors and the hair metal, and now we have this slow evolution into white person rap. Yeah, I guess you could say it was following trends. And definitely the late 80s were just when I was starting to feel like, hey, I could listen to it. DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. Tone Loke, the Fat Boys, these are sort of the gateway drugs for really white bread kids to explore black culture through hip hop. I also think the reason we had so many songs in this movie is because for part three, they didn't really have a soundtrack. They had a single for Dream Warriors and on the B side was Into the Fire. Here, they suddenly realized, well, shit, we need to merchandise some more. We need a soundtrack. And yeah. we need toys and gloves. And it's really poorly integrated in this movie. I mean, it's like the kind of thing where someone walks by in a, in a beatbox and you hear a snippet of a song or we go into the diner. And, and we those watch. are the ones that are on the goddamn soundtrack. <laughs> well, sure. You know, we go in the diner and then, of course, the jukebox has got to be playing some Bon Jovi ripoff or whatever. You know, it's just it was about merchandising. They, these songs did not add to the movie. It was just a way of packaging them to people that were going to buy it. Let, let me tell you something else. Freddy's rap with the Fat Boys, not on the fucking soundtrack. You had to <laughs> buy the Fat Boys album for it. 
Wipeout! I'll tell you, they screwed this pooch. <laughs> they certainly did. But yeah, Freddie gets to rap. I think he raps better than he sings, as we're finding with Freddie's greatest hits. <laughs> rap is his medium. <laughs> Speaking of tunes, you got any for us, Arnie? Before we get to Freddie's greatest hits, though, Brock, if you will. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4? The Dream Master. Stuart. No, is the quick answer to that. You know, I was surprised watching this. I remember not thinking this was one of the bad ones. I've seen all of the nightmares before, and I remember thinking this one was okay. And then my younger self had very little problem with it. But watching it again, I think it was just stylistically antithetical to everything that I wanted. You know, coming off three, I was a big fan of seeing that again. I think I liked it more now than I did at the time. This is not the worst Nightmare on Elm Street entry by far, but it is the biggest come down. It's the biggest letdown. After three to come here to watch your dream warriors killed without even battling and to have it all be about Freddy, the only way I could recommend this movie to you is if you like Freddy's sense of humor and you can put up with a lot of shaky camera. No. Arnie. As I said, when this movie came out, it was my favorite of the series. Watching it, you know, now I can really appreciate some of the horror of three. Three's my favorite, but I'd say four's a close second for me. I like the slickness. I agree. It's not as good as three. And three is Nightmare on Elm Street perfection. But I like what this offers. I like the rock video feel it has. I like the pace at which it goes. I'm glad that I didn't have to watch a 20-minute Kincaid Freddy battle. I'm glad that we got to move along. Yes, some of the puns are major, major groaners, and some of the effects are kind of cheap, and some of the scenes just don't quite pan out, but then you've also got the ones that do, like the mind fuck of the time loop and the atmospheric, if inconsequential, movie theater scene. It's a B-movie by far, and it's nowhere near as good as three but yeah i recommend four i think it's a fun fun time and i'm gonna mirror some of what arnie said there with my comments i had a good time watching it and that's what it usually comes down to with horror movies do you enjoy what's going on and do you enjoy the kills and do you enjoy what they're trying to do and what they're doing and from the get-go this one i i got pulled in a little bit and then it kind of ebbed overall i had a good time with it for the most part and i'm not saying this movie is flawless by no means and i certainly agree with you both that the last one w- was better. I'm still not entirely crazy with how they're using the concept of what they've created here. But I think they went farther and they went different places with it in this movie enough that I was able to have a good time watching it. And I thought the pacing of it certainly helped that a lot. So I, I give it a recommend. It, it's, it's, it's not the strongest recommend I'll ever give, but I certainly give it in the context certainly of the series. I give it a recommend. It, it do you recommend it more than the first one? I think I do. I think the first one, again, was what they set up for the first one and what they did with it was disappointing. With this one, I kind of knew what they were doing from the get-go. And where they went with it at the end, again, I don't think it worked 100%, but I see what they were doing with it. And it kind of took a tangent of where the last one was. And the last one was so much fun. 
So, yes, I do. I think it's a little bit better than the first one for me. And I'm going to split Stuart's question and say, you know, I recommend them about equally. Part one isn't as fun a watch, but it's so historic in the pantheon of horror films that I feel one is a must-see for horror fans just to see the origin of Freddy. Four isn't a must-see for anything other than having a good time watching it. So, okay. So, Arnie, what is this week's song? It's another original Freddy tune. Yeah. All right. Or really, Freddy's chick singer girl tune. Yeah. This one's actually, though, you know, very nightmare themed. It's called okay. Don't Sleep. Okay. I see they're not afraid to use drum machines. It was the 80s. Who was afraid of drum machines? Don't sleep. Or a little reverb. like a power battle. This is totally a metal ballad. Yeah, it is a ballad. I do. It certainly is. There's another voice in there. Do you hear that? The third voice. You're right. There is a third voice in there. Yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. don't dream about it. Don't yeah, yeah. He's like the studio musician. He's playing the keyboards and singing. Maybe he's like auto-tuning his voice like all the new Re- We Are The World singers. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of Laura Branigan. Remember her? Gloria, Gloria. That had pep to it, though. Yeah, well, maybe she took a Samanex. <laughs> <laughs> Not the off-brand Vibrant that they use in every Nightmare on Elm Street movie? No Doze <laughs> no, or whatever? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no Doze or whatever it is. No no Wake something. Stay awake. This guitar riff is making me think this is like a B-track off a of Bad Miami Vice episode. Yeah, Miami Vice is a good call here. I do want to put on that neon blue jacket and shade. What do you think, Tubbs? <laughs> I think this is a Crockett. <laughs> you need a better guitar player, is all I can say. You gotta have uh, an Eddie Van Halen to make that riff worth listening to. And I think having a female is the wrong way to go with this. Would Freddie really be advising you to not sleep if you want to stay alive? Doesn't he want you to sleep? In fact, doesn't he go through a lot of pains to make you sleep? I'm telling you, this song is reverse psychology. It's trying yeah, to get, I do agree. something that it's like a lullaby, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I dare you not to think of white elephants. And what are you thinking of? It's the same thing. Oh, jeez, is this still going bored. on? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, we're in, what, verse three now? Oh. They all sound the same, man. They need to give this a little bit of... I'm thinking of a Miami sound machine, a little Gloria Stefan. Like, with, like the Caribbean beat. See, that's underneath. what they should have done. Yeah. The Freddy is gonna yeah. get you. The Freddy is gonna get you. The Freddy is gonna get you. Perfect. Really? That'd be perfect. Yeah. No, she did a lot of ballads. I know, did but she? Yeah, yeah. Words get in the way. Coming out of the dark. Coming out of the uh, dark. Another good one for Freddy. Yeah, exactly. You know, then speaking of that, though, Melissa Etheridge's song could actually come to my window, could actually work too if you think about the lyrics. Crawl inside and wait by the light of the moon. I could, I could, maybe, maybe. I don't think Freddy wants to tap that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad, it's a bad sign when we're thinking about other music we want to hear more than the song we're listening to. <laughs> That's all I've been doing this entire. <laughs> you know what? This song could have worked for if they did two things: get a better guitar player and get Ozzy Osbourne. 
How much more fun would it be if it were Ozzy's voice over there? I would think Alice Cooper, actually. That would rock. I don't know. I'm voting Ozzy. Arnie? I gotta go with Alice Cooper, especially since he kind of makes an appearance in Freddy's Dead. Did he really do these kind of metal ballads, though? Oh, yeah. I think we're even here, folks. I think Lita Ford went around the block. If you want to go to our uh, forum, you you tell us, don't sleep, is Ozzy or is it Alice? I think it needs to be Bon Scott from ACDC. ACDC? <laughs> yeah, can you hear? Don't say! All right, let's face it, though. This shit isn't even good enough for Winger. This song sucks. Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> oh, man. After the rain, this song still sucks. <laughs> I don't know. Freddie's hardly in this thing. This isn't really Freddie's song at all. It's the guitarist's song. I've had that complaint with all of the tracks, but this is the worst defender. This is horrible. This is just is trash. As bad as Do the Freddy was, I was I was singing that song for days afterwards. And they gave you something to do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, an activity. as I seem like this. I mean, what choice do I have, lady? You know what this is reminding me of? I just had a flash. Do you remember when Leah Thompson singing in Howard the Duck? <laughs> that's yeah. what this is reminding me of now. Yes. Yeah. How was well, a catchy that, song, though? No, remember she also has some other ballady songs with her all-girl band? I don't remember Howard the Duck that no, much. I don't and remember that, like actually. This, I don't want it to. <laughs> you know what I want to hear Freddie do? Stand by your man. Like Tammy Wynette. That's what I want to hear him do. I want to see him do Tammy Wynette. <laughs> I want to see him kill Tammy Wynette. <laughs> I think that's what I was saying. Oh, I oh. <laughs> I took your statement more sexual. I yeah, because I really like to see burned porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new fetish. And here I yeah. thought sex was dead. Okay, speaking of dead, the song is done, thank goodness. Wow. How many notes do you think were in that uh, keyboard? Two? Maybe three? No. Da, 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 okay. da. That's five. It's clearly five notes. And uh, I want to congratulate that keyboardist for making it all the way through that because I know five minutes and 20 seconds must have been really tough. I I do not recommend don't sleep. In fact, I I recommend that I go to sleep right now. This is the worst one. I I, got to say, disappointing. This was no fun to listen to on a kitschy level at all. No, no, no. I mean, after the highs of Dancer Elf, I I feel like maybe Freddie should not be writing his own material. (laughs) I think this is the else that they were talking about. Mm -hmm. You can't even dance to this song. (laughs) Yeah. Unless you're doing like that middle school, like sway back and forth dance. Exactly. If I fall asleep quicker, will you kill me before I have to listen to another six bars of this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you all for joining us for this episode of Now Playing. If you enjoyed your show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review for other people to find us as well. And you can also go to our webpage at www.nowplayingpodcast.com. Go into our archive section and listen to other episodes of this and our other retrospective series. We have Back to the Future. We have Star Trek. We have Friday the 13th, Halloween, Saw, a whole bunch of different kinds. Go check that out. You can also go to our forums. There's a link there at the homepage, and you can discuss this episode and our other episodes with other listeners just like yourselves. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, basically any social media avenue of your choice. And we'll be back next week with another episode in our retrospective series of Nightmare on Elm Street, and that will be A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. 
Arnie, Stuart, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks. Thank you. Until next time, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Okay. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to our Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. But there's so much more to learn. Keep coming to NowPlayingPodcast.com every week to get the latest episode. Oh, yeah. Great to be back in business. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, stop by our forums to post your thoughts on this series. You can also find us on Twitter as NowPlayingPod or our NowPlayingPodcast fan page on Facebook. Links to the forums, Facebook, and Twitter pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Next time, don't don't stay away so long. A Nightmare on Elm Street is copyright and trademarked New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Entertainment. You think you've got what it takes. (laughs) Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers Entertainment, or Platinum Dunes. I am... Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010, all rights reserved. Patricia Arquette couldn't come back because, ostensibly, due to her pregnancy. But wasn't she in another movie with the director from Part 3 filming at exactly the same time? You know, Stuart, you and I have always thought that, and I heard it somewhere, and you heard it somewhere. We both thought she was in The Blob, which was yeah. that director's next film. She was not in The Blob. What? I know! She was in The Blob? <laughs> I know! This is fucking with my memory! Uh... <laughs> I remember the blob. I remember liking the blob. I remember her standing on top of a car as the blob was eating things. I guess I'm just dreaming now. (laughs) No, you remember (laughs) Shawnee Smith standing on top of a car while the blob was eating things. And I'm right there with you because I thought the same fucking thing for like 20 years. But now, according to Wiki, it's because she was pregnant. Oh, this this is lightning striking the grave in Jason part five. Six. Six. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Guys. You will be corrected, sir, if you get oh, something Lord. wrong. Let me we listen to these Now I'll be sure next time I'll get the reference right. But yeah. no. This is the one where the floating heads come out in the white stream of light. Yes, and say, bye, Alice. So it's very, that's like out of Harry Potter. If, well, that, well keep just, in mind, this was like 20 years yeah. before Harry Potter. I, should, so. I was going to rephrase that. It, Harry Potter ripped this off. Yes. Exactly, exactly. I was trying to rephrase it that way. Basically, Harry Potter got the idea from here. But uh, yeah, Harry Potter, Kathy Dennis, they all owe it to Freddie. <laughs> <laughs>